every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Hi, welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the county clerk in Boone County, Missouri, and with me is my co-host. Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And today we're really excited to have Audrey Malagon from Verified Voting to talk about what Verified Voting does, how it supports local election authorities, and some of the tools that they provide. So we're really happy to have you here. So first, we always ask, how did you specifically get started working in the election space? Yes, so I am a mathematician, not an election administrator, but I do work with elections. So um, sometimes I say my day job is a mathematics professor. That's what I do um, when I'm not working with verified voting. I'm a professor of mathematics at Virginia Wesleyan University here in Virginia Beach. So I'm really an educator at heart. And that's what really brought me into the election space was realizing how mathematics that I had seen could support election security and election integrity. And I wanted to advance that work and also educate the public and election administrators on how that could happen. Uh, After the 2016 election, like a lot of us, I was seeing misinformation, disinformation, lots of news coming at the public that they were really kind of having trouble dissecting, understanding. And I was thinking about um, how I could use math to help the public digest that information. How can I use math to inform the public about current events and help them decide what's true, what to believe? And I wasn't alone in this. The mathematical community was really starting to think about that. And the Mathematical Association of America actually gave a course for mathematicians on how to write about mathematics for the public good. So how could we write about mathematical topics that were relevant to what was happening in the world in a way that would engage the public and maybe even get them moving on some of these issues. So I started writing op-eds and letters to the editor about areas where mathematics intersected with public policy and where understanding mathematics or data could help understand what was happening in the world. And about that time, Virginia also had a really close election um, in a state contest that was actually so close, it was decided with a coin flip. So then I was really thinking about, gosh, how do we check our elections? You know, I'd been a voter for many years. You go and you vote and you you go home and wait for the results. But I hadn't really thought a lot about how do we make sure that those votes are actually counted as cast? What kind of checking goes on afterwards? So I learned a lot about what election officials already had in place in the Commonwealth. But I also had read about statistical post-election audits and how those could be a really useful and efficient tool for election officials and just for public trust in election outcomes. So that's when I really stepped into the election space. I wrote an op-ed for the Virginian pilot that ran in their Sunday edition about post-election statistical audits and how I thought they could be a really good tool for Virginia. And it just so happened that Verified Voting was in Virginia uh, working to advance some legislation on risk-limiting audits. So 
the article ran on Sunday. They called me on Tuesday and said, hey, can you come to Richmond and maybe give testimony about risk limiting audits and how they might be useful here? And I agreed. I came and I met with them and I started to work with them a little bit in Virginia. And then eventually they invited me to join their national team where I do a lot of education and outreach about election integrity, about audits, about other areas that kind of bridge this gap between the scientific and academic community and the election administration space. How did it go talking to a state legislative body about math stuff? Yeah, I was really (laughs) nervous at first. And then I realized, you know, that, you know, they were going to make these decisions about whether audits were good for Virginia or not, with or without my input. So the more input I could give them, uh, the more conversations I could have and just help them understand what was going on, why we thought these were a good thing, I think helped. But yeah, it's definitely a different experience talking to the public, talking to policymakers about mathematics um, than I'd had even in a mathematics classroom. (laughs) You and Verified Voting are attempting to outreach to local election officials. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, why you're making that outreach and and what kind of things Verified Voting does uh, with and for local election officials? To give you a little background on the organization, uh, Verified Voting is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. And we were founded in 2004 by computer scientists who were really concerned about the increasing use of technology in elections, especially the paperless touchscreen voting machines. So that's where our work really started. And we focus on the intersection of technology and elections. We recognize, of course, that technology is important. Um, It's an important part of efficiency in elections. So there's really a distinct difference between like a machine tabulation of paper ballots versus a touchscreen that leaves no paper trail for the voter to verify or to go back to um, later as a part of the recovery plan for the vote. So we as an organization appreciate the need for technology, right? Election administrators do not want to hand count every single ballot unless there's a really good reason to do that. So we are an organization that keeps track of the different uses of technology, and we try to advocate for the responsible use of that for human oversight and provide resources for the public, for election administrators, from our website to our team of experts on how to implement kind of the best practices in using technology in elections. Um, So that's really our goal. We want a stronger, more secure election system with a lot of transparency. We want voters to have confidence in the election outcome so we can help election administrators with messaging around how the practices that they already have in place are actually a reason to give voters justified confidence in the outcome. We can also work with election administrators to implement some of these best practices. In Virginia, I've gotten to attend a lot of the risk limiting audit pilots. So these are post-election audit pilots that happened around the state that were run by the Department of Elections, but um, we got to be there and observe and kind of come alongside election officials. That's really our goal in in all the work we do is to come alongside election officials and learn their processes, highlight what they're doing, support what they're doing. Election officials really are, you know, the heart of our democracy. They're who, who is making this happen. And so our goal is to be there as a support and a resource and to keep abreast of the current issues so that we can provide education, provide outreach, 
and provide support. As you've transitioned from working in the, you know, advocacy world and then meeting the people that are actually implementing the policies, have you been surprised at anything that you've learned, like different policies that you knew existed, but then when you saw them in practice, didn't quite fit the way that you thought that they worked? Yeah, I have learned a lot about how elections work and what goes into election administration. I remember when I very first came into this space, you know, I understood the mathematics. I understood how these processes work. And I was talking with the local clerk and we were kind of just discussing how the audit procedure works. And I said something like, well, then you go get the ballots. And he just kind of laughed because in my mind, that was the simple step. And of course, I've learned that that is not the simple step, that so much goes into maintaining a strong chain of custody on the ballots, organizing them, storing them so that you can go back and use them in a recovery plan or use them in an audit to go and find those. So I've learned a lot about that side of election administration. And I think you hit on a really important point that the policy and the implementation need to line up. We try to work very closely to understand the processes and the regulations around election in whatever locality we're working in. So if we're advocating for a certain policy, we want to do that in a way that's informed by our work with election officials. Because at the end of the day, if it's going to happen, election officials are the ones that are going to make it happen. And so that policy needs to be in line with current practices. There seem to be a number of different groups or organizations that are trying to support election officials with risk-limiting audits. What states or localities have you worked with so far, and um, how has that informed your work? Yes, so we do work closely with other coalition partners in this space. We ultimately, there are a lot of organizations, as you say, that have the same goal, which is to help election officials implement some of these best practices, including these post-election audits. Verified Voting, we're a donor-funded organization, so the support or expertise or guidance that we provide sometimes is a little more behind the scenes. We want to come in and help the election officials design a process and implement a process, so that's that's kind of where our role um, fits in, and, and our range of of assistance can really vary by by locality um, and by state as well. So we've worked in many states on a on a range of issues. You know, we've been involved in Pennsylvania, providing expertise on the auditing work they're doing there. Um, in Virginia, Voting Works worked with the Department of Elections to actually implement the statewide risk limiting audit pilot. Um, but we were observers and we were able to give recommendations or or advice on on best practices because like I said, a lot of these organizations have the same goal and we work collaboratively. Whatever is helpful for election officials, that's what we want to be here to do. We all have some form of auditing, or at least most of us have some form of auditing. Ours right now are random selection of precincts and you hand count a selection of those ballots. Risk limiting audits are now the thing that are kind of growing in popularity. Do you see the auditing process as kind of a ever-evolving spectrum? Will there be a better audit than risk or is there already, but you know, now we're so deep into risk limiting audits. That's what we do. Like where, where do we go from here in that world? 
so I think first of all, you know, any post-election audit is better than no post-election audit. Any checking that we're doing to make sure that the machine tabulated results are lining up with what we're seeing on the voter verified paper ballots. That's the key first step. The term risk limiting audit really is a broader term than I think a lot of people understand. I think it gets kind of pigeonholed into a certain process, but it just really means that when you're done with your audit, you sort of have some idea of how confident you can be. You're able to sort of measure something at the end and say, yeah, this was a we, we got pretty good information out of this audit, or we didn't quite get as good of information as we hoped for. Maybe we should do a little more. That's really what the, the risk limiting part is getting at. But even the types of risk limiting audits or the ways that we approach them or the mathematics behind them um, is continuing to evolve and grow to make these processes more efficient. So sometimes there's changes kind of in the background stuff and the math that's happening behind the scenes. And sometimes there's changes that are happening because as we pilot these, we're learning more about how they work with different election processes, with different jurisdictions. What's the best way to approach this? So there's some key fundamental principles. Um, there's a document that was authored by uh, verified voting experts, as well as others on sort of principles and best practices for post-election audits. So there's some core principles to stick to, but part of what makes this exciting and challenging work is that, as you know, our elections and our election processes are by design different in different states, different cities, different localities. And so we have to change and evolve to make those best practices in line with what's actually happening on the ground. It's quality control for elections. We need to check something to make sure that we're not missing anything that might be going wrong in the processes, but how we check that and how we change those processes as a result is something that should be evolving. You're obviously an expert in mathematics, but you also have the experience of testifying in front of a state legislature and talking with, with election officials. One thing that I really struggle with, maybe other election officials have this, is how does a simple-minded person like me boil down kind of a risk limiting audit, like what that is to a state legislator or a member of the public or some political party official. Because if I start trying to, you know, read things or explain it, people's eyes might glaze over. What, what have you found as an effective way to kind of boil down an, an RLA and explain to somebody what it is or what it does? Yeah, I really like the analogy of quality control. And so I grew up in the Midwest um, and my grandmother worked at our small town syringe factory. So she has lots of stories from her work in that factory. Most don't have anything to do with elections. But uh, one of the stories I remember is she would talk about, you know, how the supervisors would check on their work, right? So maybe she's in charge of one production line and they want to make sure that everything is coming out of that production line the way it's supposed to. And so they would occasionally check some of the things on that line. And the idea behind that is, is if something were going wrong, as long as you're checking often enough, you're checking different lines, you know, you're not sort of biased in how you're checking. You're not just only checking this line on Tuesday so that my grandmother could just make sure Tuesday went well, then you should spot problems. If something's going wrong and you're kind of randomly checking, you should see any red flags as long as you're doing enough checking and in the 
correct way. You should be able to notice if something goes wrong. And that's really the idea behind this sort of, we'll say random sample a lot, like a random sample or a scientific random sample of ballots is that we want to spot check. We want to spot check our machine tabulation for quality control. We're relying on the machines to tabulate because nobody wants to hand count all these ballots if we don't have to, but we want to spot check and make sure that what you marked on your ballot matches what the machine is reporting um, so that we can be sure that the machine tabulated out really would match all the paper if we counted it. That's an analogy that I think a lot of people can relate to because we use it all the time, right? We rely on quality control in every product we buy. We're hoping that the factory is, is checking on it. When we eat out in restaurants, we require on their, you know, their random inspections. All of that is kind of underlying our everyday life, this idea of, of random checking. So why is a risk-limiting audit better than, or, or is it even just a random selection of precincts or polling places I think the, the fundamental processes, I guess, are this are similar, right? We're going to randomly spot check some of these. The question that a risk limiting audit really gets at is, well, how many do we need to check? We want to be sure that this outcome that is reported is the correct outcome, that it would match the paper. And so that's what a risk limiting audit tries to answer is, how many do we need to check? And the simple answer is when the margin is really close, we need to check more. If you're fortunate enough to have wide margins, then you don't need to check as many because the, the error should show up in a smaller group. Whereas if the margin's really, really close, you might need to look at more before you would start to notice if anything had gone wrong. Um, so we want to be responsive to the outcome and the margin there in how many we check, which is good news when you have wide margins, you can often check fewer than you're checking with whatever your sort of flat rate standard procedure is. But it also means that when it's closer, you might be checking more, but that means that you're putting your resources to good use. You're really looking closely when it really matters. One of the cool things that Verified Voting has on their website is a full-on map of every county and the kind of equipment that they use. Some are used this way and some are used that way. And it's in a downloadable format that anybody can work with over the span of close to 20 years. What kind of prompted verified voting to put that together and what is it being used for? What have you seen it being used for? Yeah. So this is definitely one of our best known resources. When I started working with verified voting, went to one of my first conferences, um, I introduced myself to someone and they said, oh yeah, the verifier. So it really is something that I have seen so many people talk about and use in a lot of different ways. And it was something we started back in 2006, really just to keep track of the wide variety of voting equipment in use. Um, as I mentioned, our, our mission is to strengthen democracy by looking at where technology intersects with elections. So keeping track of that technology was going to be an important part of our work. And because it is so varied and it changes, that was really a labor-intensive project um, to get off the ground. And it's really the only comprehensive resource that gives you current information and historical information about voting equipment all in one place. And it's it's been refined over the years, you know, as we 
as we were able, we've added more information, but I love that I can go back and I can look at a state and see this is what it looks like in 2016. And this is what it looks like in 2020. This is how the equipment changed. Or I can go back even further and see how it's changed over time. And then we've added layers, including, you know, links to information about that specific equipment. So if you want to know what's the difference between a ballot marking device and a direct recording electronic device, the public can go in and read about those differences. If you want to know about a specific model that's in use, um, we have information there. So I think it's a great visualization tool. You can look at a snapshot in one glance, but you can also go into more detail where it's of interest for you. We're always monitoring local news stories to see if election equipment has changed, um, reaching out to local election officials. So some of your listeners may have had a call from our verifier team asking about their equipment and if it's changed. So we have some dedicated team members that keep that thing up to date all the time. And that's, it's so important because as you said, lots of people use it. So policymakers will look at it. Journalists use it. I use it in my work. I'll go in and look if we're going to advise election officials in a certain way. We want to we want to know what equipment they have. And so I can get a glance at what they have, what they've had before. And then voters who are, you know, concerned about the machinery of democracy can go in and say, oh, okay, well, we're using, we're actually using this type of equipment that does this. And that's different than maybe this thing I heard about in the news. Have you heard from local election officials that have used it in their procurement process? They've looked at it and said, oh, it looks like the trend in my state is going one way or, hey, this is a really interesting thing that it looks like this other state's doing. Um, I haven't heard specific accounts of that, but I could definitely see it being used in that way because you can you can go in and see if there are other jurisdictions that in some way are similar to yours, you can go in and see what they're using, not only currently, but what they used in the past. And that might spark conversations about, oh, you know, you changed from this to this. Why? Or, you know, how how is that going? How is that different than what you used before? Yeah, I can vouch for the fact that folks at Verified Voting are trying to keep it updated because I got a call not too long after we procured new voting equipment saying, hey, did you guys buy new voting equipment? So that must be a a never-ending task to try to keep that all updated, especially in states where counties and localities choose different stuff. Do you have any examples of how election officials have utilized the tool just for anything, I guess? I hear more general comments usually, but like every time at at a conference, someone comes up and says, oh yeah, you have the verifier. You know, a lot of times they're checking that their equipment is correct, um, which is also really helpful. So they'll look and make sure that it's correct for them and let, they'll let us know if it's not, but they'll look at what other areas are using, or I can imagine for someone that might be new in their jurisdiction to be able to go back, just to have a consolidated place where they can go back and look at trends from before they were in election administration. And I should mention another resource on our website that we have, we have a couple of them related to election officials. Um, We do maintain, this is more for the public, but contact information for local election official offices so that we can encourage the public to get their information from a reliable source. You know, if you have questions about where you vote or what processes are happening, we want them to go to the people who know. And we have also um, started highlighting election officials in a new blog series. We do election official profiles. And so that's been a really nice way to highlight and just celebrate the work of election officials, especially 
um, over the last year or so where the work has been even more trying than usual. Um, we've seen election officials come through a pandemic. We've seen them deal with all kinds of criticism. And so this is a chance for us to showcase the work that election officials are doing. So we are always looking for more. Um, if you are an election official or you know of an election official doing great work, please let us know. We definitely want to hear those stories. We want to be able to highlight them and to help the public see what they're doing. So we have a lot of people that come to our website for the verifier, and we hope that they also find these other resources really useful and that they'll see what's happening locally in their jurisdiction um, and also across the country. Having now gone through and seeing misinformation, disinformation, things like that, do you have advice for local election authorities that are trying to put out better public information, you know, not to influence policy and things like that by testifying to legislators, but just accurate and easy to understand information? First of all, I think we all have a responsibility to go to our local election officials for information. So we want we want to hold up election officials as a trusted source of information. And then, as you said, then we want to help them be able to provide that information in a clear and concise way. And I think that a key to a lot of this, what I've heard from so many election officials is people have questions or they don't understand something, but once they talk to me, once they ask me how our process actually works, a lot of their fears are alleviated. They were concerned about something they heard on the news or something they saw that they didn't understand. So I think transparency is so important. And the more the public can just just see and just understand. They really, you know, maybe they weren't paying attention before. And I think about how much I've learned as someone focused on on this space um, in the time that I've been involved. And so I think there's a lot for the public to learn. So I think the more that election officials can just share what they're doing, it may not even require a lot of in-depth explanation, but, you know, this is how we package the ballots. And this is how, this is what we do to make sure that they're secure after election. I think we find the public wanting more of that information that maybe five years ago we wouldn't have thought to share because nobody really seemed interested in that. It seemed like the boring, mundane stuff that you have to do to manage an election. And I think now there is more of a need for the public to know kind of just the boring, basic facts. You know, elections are a lot of work. A lot of that work seems routine and mundane, but that's okay. That's how it should be. It should be um, good people doing good work. And we just, the more we can share that work with the public, the better they can kind of see and understand what is already in place to protect them. Has working in this field uh, made you want to be an election administrator or run away from election administrator? I think math is easier than running an election. <laughs> um, I think I actually have an easier job than most election officials um, working in mathematics. No, I've seen in a lot of my work more interest from, from the mathematical community in helping to support the work of election officials in terms of you know, being a resource to kind of bridge that gap between the academic or scientific community and public policy or public just current events and information. So I, I'd like to see, you know, 
more mathematicians speaking out or or writing for the public or talking about these things in a way that's that's understandable to the public um, because I think that I think those communities uh, public service and the academic community have a lot that we can share I think we can learn a lot from each other and those bridges haven't always been there but I think the more we can build those bridges the better off we'll all be Okay, thanks everybody for listening to High Turnout Wide Margins. A big thanks to Audrey Malagon from Verified Voting for being our guest. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you listen next episode to High Turnout Wide Margins.